back to the book of Ruth. And I'm going to read you, uh, starting at verse 1 of chapter 3, and I'm going to read you the whole chapter. So um, bear with me and uh, follow with me as I read these 18 verses. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact... He is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, and he said, she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Then he said, Blessed are you, the Lord, uh, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also, he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, and she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. The grass withers. And the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, this story opened with a famine, as you may recall. Um, A family, because of the famine, moves to a foreign country, and there the husband and the two sons die. Um, I say that to say this. The teller of this story wants you to know that the backdrop is suffering. And, and, and I've read several commentaries that seem to miss that point. That is, it opens with this huge tale of suffering. 
and then that gets addressed in the first sermon and then it gets forgotten. This is a tale of suffering from front and there's other things in it, of course, but this is, this is about confronting our own pain. As you know, um, after, uh, the two sons died, the mother, Naomi moves back to Bethlehem where only one of her daughters-in-law follow her. Her name is Ruth. Ruth goes out one morning to, um, to glean. Um, she just happens upon the field of Boaz. She comes home with a lot of grain. And as a result of seeing that grain, Naomi, the mother, is reminded of God's covenantal, faithful, continuous, loyal love for her. And in one sense, she is resurrected. Um, now, um, Naomi has always wanted her daughters to remarry, her daughters-in-law to remarry. She says that in chapter one. Um, but now, now that she has her sanity back, <laughs> um, she, she hatches a plan. Um, Naomi the Pleasant, who turned into Mara the Bitter, is now back to Naomi the Pleasant. And it's Naomi the Pleasant that hatches a plan for her daughter-in-law to, um, to get married. Um, the first phase of this plan um, consists of her staying put. That is, uh, Ruth staying put. So right where you are. For another seven weeks or so, until the, um, the harvest is over. Um, so you have seven weeks of Ruth eyeing Boaz and Boaz eyeing Ruth. <laughs> now guys, phase two of the plan is a bit odd to, to say the very least. And it is treacherous to explain. Um, so let, let me begin by saying this. The event that I read you out of chapter three happened thousands of years ago. Culturally, the differences couldn't be starker. That is the difference between that culture thousands of years ago and our culture today. And bridging those two cultures is, is compromised by this, um, this time lapse. Consequently, anyone who says they know all that's going on here is to be less than honest. Chapter three is filled with cultural anomalies and sexual oddities. Um, what we see as wholesome and what they saw as wholesome are two different things. So, um, to explain chapter three, uh, in, in completely in 21st century terms, uh, 
Um, give it up. So uh, I am going to tread very cautiously through some of this that's contained in chapter 3. That said, um, there is about a seven or eight week period that elapses between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. The events recorded for you in chapter 3 occur between uh, a sunset, nighttime, and a sunrise, um, morning time. The plan that is hatched by Naomi involves a bath, some perfume, and her best dress. Ruth is looking and smelling good. Now guys, um, at first blush, Naomi's plan for her daughter-in-law looks no different than what any common prostitute would do. Um, <clears throat> several of the words that Naomi uses to describe her plan to Ruth if I were to concentrate, they all, so many of them have sexual connotations to them. Um, but what could possibly go wrong? Just about everything. And Naomi is putting Ruth in a very vulnerable spot. Uh, for instance, you remember, this book opened by telling you this was in the days of when the judges ruled. And the theme of those days was everybody was doing what was right in his own eyes. Secondly, this whole plan is going to unfold in the dark. What if she goes to the wrong man? Um, thirdly, most of these men, including Boaz, <clears throat> are probably drunk. And then fourthly, and, and most significantly, threshing floors were notorious convention centers for prostitutes. It was open season at the threshing floor. Now guys, um, speaking of prostitutes, could I, could I just pause for a moment and to take you down a side road? Does anybody here remember who Boaz's mother was? His mother was a name was a woman by the name of Rahab. <laughs> Matthew chapter 1 verse 5. Do you remember her? Rahab was a prostitute who lived in Jericho. Uh, and she hid the two spies that Israel sent in. Um, and as a result of, or as in payment for her hiding the spies, she was delivered once Israel attacked and destroyed Jericho. Um, and, and that woman, Rahab, is Boaz's mother. Now, if I could, just another couple of minutes, just take... An aside to the aside, um, 
You know, I, I pointed this out um, several years ago when we were studying the book of Joshua. But do you remember what happens when, when uh, Israel attacks Jericho? You know, the walls fall down. You remember all that part. Um, but they go in and a couple of the soldiers extract Rahab and her family uh, from the rest of the destruction. I, I'm reading you from Joshua 6. Listen to this. So they brought all her relatives, uh, her and all her relatives, and left them outside the camp of Israel. And this is the point that I made several years ago. The soldiers come in and they get Rahab and they extract her and her family and they leave her outside the camp of Israel. Um, hours later, Joshua comes along. And as you recall, Joshua is the Christ type in the book of Joshua. This is what verse 25 of chapter 6 says. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. Listen. So she dwells in Israel to this day. The point that I made four years ago was the soldiers take her out and put her on the outside of the camp. But Joshua comes in and says, no, no. No, no, you're not going to be on the outside. You're not going to be marginalized. We're going to bring you inside of Israel. And she dwells inside of Israel for the rest of her days. In fact, she dwells in Israel um, and is so well assimilated to the people of God that she meets a young man by the name of Salmon. <laughs> it's spelled S-A-L-M-O-N, Salmon. She marries a little Jewish boy. She gets pregnant. They have a baby boy. And the baby's boy's name is Boaz. <laughs> the hero of the story contained in the book of Ruth. You know, guys, um, I mentioned all that, I guess, simply to say this. It is only a sovereign God that can weave a story like that. That can weave a story that is so dripping with grace where a prostitute is brought to the outskirts and then brought inside the family and, and, and then meets a boy and marries him and they have a son and the son goes on to become the... I say, I say that, I guess, to say this. Boaz has a special place in his heart for prostitutes. He's heard lots of stories about prostitutes. His mother was an ex-prostitute. Now, back to the story. Try to, try to picture this scene. Um, you know, put up your grocery, your grocery list and, and try to imagine this. Boaz, <laughs> this is going to make some of you very uncomfortable. Boaz is a middle-aged bachelor, wealthy, and is a devoted follower of Yahweh. He is awakened in the midst of a sound sleep at midnight, and he notices that um, lying at his feet is a young, beautiful, sweet-smelling 
woman. Um, he, he, he rubs his eyes and, and, and he wonders, am I dreaming? I mean, uh, if I am dreaming, don't anybody wake me up. I like this. Um, what did I do to deserve this? And he bends over and he says, he asks this young woman in the woman in the dark, who are you? Now guys, I want you to fix your attention on verse eight. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself and there a woman was lying at his feet and he said, who are you? I want you to notice something about verse eight. Their names are gone. It's not Boaz and Ruth anymore. It's a man and a woman. All you have mentioned in verse eight is a man and a woman in the dark at a threshing floor. This could get very dicey. At this moment in the story, ladies and gentlemen, this story is so sexually charged that the reader is wondering, where is this going from here? He asks her, a woman, who are you? And she says, and by the way, she answers in verse 9, and her reply does nothing but increase her vulnerability. She says, she says in essence, I am available to become your wife. Cover me. Make me your own. And Boaz is thinking, did I just get propositioned by a Moabite? Oh no, Boaz. It's much worse than that. Maybe not worse. It's a proposal. It's a proposal for marriage. Here she was, uh, cleaned up and pretty, presenting herself to Boaz. <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, if I were writing a steamy little novel right now, I would describe all of this in lurid detail. But suffice it to say that Boaz's response to this offer is, is utterly unheard of. It's remarkable. This man who strongly desires a woman, but there is a problem. And the problem is not what you might think it is. Whatever you might think it is. The problem 
is the law. The law stands between Boaz and Ruth. There is another guy who has first dibs. When it, when it comes to the Goel line, Boaz is number two. And in the mind of Boaz, the law has to be satisfied. Now we, the reader of this story, we're, we're standing on the sidelines and saying, ha, ha, forget the law. Uh, we don't want that other guy to marry her. We want you to marry her. Tell, tell Ruth to, to, to go dress up in an old rag and, and, and work up some sweat and, and, and cake some dirt on her face and, and then go present herself to that other guy as this old hag. Maybe, maybe that will move us through this legal impasse. Or, or better yet, just forget the law. Call the rabbi. Exchange some vows. Marry her. But Boaz says, no. The law must be satisfied. There's got to be a way. There's got to be a way to satisfy the law and to extend grace. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, um, the picture of Jesus Christ is hard to miss here. But for those of you who may have missed it, <laughs> You do realize, don't you, that God refuses to save you at the expense of his law? Um, in saving you, he doesn't dispose of the law, ignoring the law, saying, just kidding. For him for him to ignore the law, to allow the law to go unkept, would be to deny him very, his very self. Because the law is, that's what the law is, ladies and gentlemen. It's a description of his nature. God is still a lawgiver. The law is still binding. But herein lies the gospel. There is only one law keeper. And that, of course, is Christ. So now, at this point in the story, instead of moving towards Ruth, Boaz moves away from her. And he sends her home while he figures out a plan by which the law might be satisfied. You know, guys, um, one of the things that, in fact, I even think I prayed it this morning. I'm not, I, 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 I don't, 
pray from a script. Um, but I pray this a lot. I pray, um, I thank God for finding a way to save me. I, I say that because, guys, um, Boaz is in, is in a similar circumstance. He's searching for a way so that he can save Ruth. But at the very same time that the law be kept. Ruth, on the other hand, doesn't understand all this Jewish law stuff. And, and um, she returns to Naomi, who is pacing the floor and biting her fingernails. And, 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 and now she comes back to Naomi. She's disappointed. She's rejected. She's frustrated. She's heartbroken. She's whimpering. She's wondering, uh, does he really want me? And there she sits on the floor next to Naomi in her own tears, wondering why this is all happening while she's still wearing the prettiest dress she owns, but no longer feeling beautiful. Naomi, what should I do? Guys, if you um, if you've fallen asleep, it's time to wake up. Because I'm telling you, the advice that Naomi is about to give to Ruth is of inestimable value. It's advice given from one sufferer to another sufferer. It's advice given from an older sufferer to a younger sufferer. Naomi says, Ruth, Boaz wants you more than you want him. He is, um, he's withholding himself from you for a time at great personal cost. It's harder for him to keep his distance from you than it is for you to wait for him. But you got to know this, Ruth, that this man is going to move heaven and earth to find a lawful way to marry you. And that's what you want, Ruth, a legal marriage. One that rests on a solid foundation. You want nothing less. So, my daughter, wait. This man will not rest until the matter is settled today. He will not rest until he has found a way to satisfy law and marry you. And when he finds that way, we will all agree that was right.
Ladies and gentlemen, what we as Christians are, are asked to do in our suffering is very similar to what Ruth is being asked to do. We are being asked to give up control of the thing that matters to us the most. What is that? It is the myth that we are in control in the first place. We in the midst of our suffering are told that we must give up this myth that we're in control and place our confidence in a God who who can manage our situation better than we've ever dreamed. We're asking to put our trust in a God who we cannot manage, but we know him to be good. And he will not rest until this thing is done rightly. So your, your wife tried to kill herself. Your husband uh, left you. You uh, thought it was going to be easier once this ugly divorce was finally over. And then the other shoe dropped. You woke up one day to the realization that the person that you thought was a friend is not a friend. That your coworker has betrayed you. And that life is just not turning out the way that you hoped it would. Okay? Then um, why don't you just uh, live the rest of your life angry and bitter? That's what some of you have chosen. Or how about this? Why don't you listen to Naomi's words to Ruth and maybe, maybe God the Holy Spirit will speak to you in the midst of your suffering. And in essence, Naomi says, Ruth, your heavenly bridegroom is consumed with desire for you. But for reasons that you cannot now understand, he is holding himself back from resolving your present dilemma. He could do what you're asking him to do. But he alone knows the right way to do it. When he appears to be doing nothing to leave you in the midst of your pain and providing you no relief, realize this. This man will not rest Until he makes everything good. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a promise to you made in Romans chapter 8, verse 28.
God hides his face just long enough for us to discover how fervently and how exclusively we want him. Every, um, every sorrow that you experience um, will be used by the Holy Spirit to deepen your desire for him. You know, guys, the mystery of suffering is, is somewhat like the mother who um, is asked to hold her baby while the doctor gives some kind of needed injection. Um, so, for you, um, your heavenly bridegroom is allowing you to suffer for reasons that you do not know of. And do not understand. But I can tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, that faith, faith grows strong and pure in the same place that gold does in a furnace. Now, guys, you got to remember, all of this is being said and done in the life of a Moabite, an outsider, the, the, the marginalized, the hated. She's a converted Moabite. But you've got, you can never forget that what every, all of this that's going on, none of it she deserves in terms of this this outpouring of goodness that's on the horizon. None of this does she, does she deserve. Um, guys, her only hope for her situation to turn out good is a hope that lies in her goel. Ruth is being told that her Goel will settle this matter soon. And, and, and I say to you, my dear brother and sister in Christ, as for your sin and as for your shame and as for your failings, our Goel, Jesus Christ, has already settled the matter. He settled it by finding a way to fulfill the law in every detail And then, only then, taking us as his bride.
for us, um, guys, there is a much greater Goel than Boaz, than Boaz. And it is the love of Jesus Christ that covers us. You come to his feet and he will do all you ask in a way that only he knows is right. You know, I'm not writing a steamy little novel. But this is a romance, is it not? It's the romance of redemption. The great saving work of God is not a business transaction. It's a love affair. The saving of his people is not some cold abstraction. But it's a white-hot relationship of love. Where Jesus Christ upholds the law and then turns to extend grace to the undeserving. To those who are far off but who now have been brought near to hide forever under the wings of their heavenly relative. What a story. Our Father, I do pray that you'll communicate to your people um, the beauty of what's being said and done here. Um, where I have shortchanged them, Lord, would you, um, would you make up for my shortcomings and and show them the great beauty of what you're up to in the midst of our pain, in the midst of um, wondering how my sin is ever going to find a solution. We find it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So Father, um, if you brought people here today who have not yet met our Savior, would you show them that this Christianity business is not about some kind of duty, not some, but about some kind of code it's about romance, a romance between the undeserving, marginalized, once enemy with the, with the one who is altogether lovely, Christ Jesus the Lord. We pray in his name. Amen.